COVID has been terrible and isolating. And all God's people said, (laughs) amen, yes it has. Separation, distancing, and I know we're all tired of it. The whole thing is a mess. The Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone either, and we've been alone in these days of COVID, beginning with the lockdown now, you know, 15 months ago. Well, that was a mess. Uh, But then we were urged to be distant from each other. The United States Surgeon General in the midst of this has declared that loneliness is a public health crisis. It was fascinating to me, and this is pre-COVID, that in the United Kingdom, in Parliament, in England, they established a new post, a minister of loneliness, recognizing this issue. Humana Health, a big uh, health organization, insurer and more, in the hospital systems, working with doctors, posted an online loneliness screening tool for doctors, wanting them to be more sensitive to the fact that we're walking around zombies inside with our spirit in many circumstances. Where are we? The open secret of the COVID experience, of course, is that it's taken a terrible toll globally on the human spirit. COVID has discouraged us all. And there have been many different responses to COVID. And people have marshaled different mechanisms to cope, not all of which have been helpful because indulgence has been one primary mechanism to cope. And you put together indulgence with being at home by yourself, lonely, and it's the devil's playground, and it has whipped up horrible cocktails with pornography accessed through our devices and including at home when no one's around, it has been a terrible indulgence that has wreaked a lot of havoc. There's been a lot of substance abuse simultaneous with structures, even Jesus structures, people who love Jesus, who reach for others. Not unlike the team that Mike Ackerson leads with Celebrate Recovery, who've been sidelined in the midst of COVID as no one was around other people. And Zoom is great, and and texting is fine, but there's nothing like looking eye to eye at someone who's hurting and expressing your love and pointing them to Jesus. That's all we have to offer is this one who is so sufficient. Drinking alcohol has been one coping mechanism. Indy and I have an extended relative and in, in, in extended distant family, and she, um, she's a buyer for Kroger in one region. She buys liquor for him. She's had a lot of business during COVID. Now, um, by the way, our trash says a lot about us. Now, tomorrow's trash day in our neighborhood, and I love to walk. And um, now I'm not nosy, but you can't walk by an open pit of a recycle bin without noticing what kind of a weekend it was for some families in the neighborhood. 
And just to say that um, I understand why this relative has had to order so much by the looks of the bins in our neighborhood, which are looking a little bit different uh, uh, during and as we machinate through COVID. What is also true is that some are despairing during COVID. They're despairing of life. I've encountered two people during COVID who've told me they thought about ending their life. Then let me just say it. I'm going to say the word right in front of you all right now. Suicide. They thought about it. Some have considered it. Despairing of life. It's the 10th leading cause of death in America. Just under 50,000 deaths annually. That's 130 a day. That's one every 11 minutes. And what's even more tragic, you think about so many who are affected by this, just considered to be in the middle of despair, you know, a permanent solution. But that consideration is always juxtaposed next to a temporary circumstance that passes over time. One out of every 25 people who attempts suicide is successful, which means among that 50,000 times that by 25, that's people who've attempted suicide. So many affected, so many families. C.S. Lewis said, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common and also harder to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say, my tooth is aching, than to say, my heart is broken. End of quote. Another question that COVID has asked us is, do followers of Jesus ever despair of life? Now, Let's open our Bibles and go to several different places this morning. This is not our usual habit to topically look at a subject. It is for these seven messages, so we're in a lot of different places gathering the fragments up. First, I want to build a foundation to answer the question. Second, I want to answer the question, and then I want to take three cues to go home and live with and to live out. First, laying a foundation to answer our question, there are three foundation rocks to this footer. Number one, life is the prerogative of God. Life is the prerogative of God. We've looked at this before. This verse in Acts chapter 17 and verse 25, Paul, before the sophisticated crowd in Athens, the philosophers... They were listening to all new things, and Paul stands before them and tells them about Jesus. And in one iconic line in that address, he says in Acts 17, 25, speaking of God, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. 
We're pro-life here at Calvary Baptist Church, and we are so because God is pro-life, because God is the author of life. God is the giver of life. God is the sustainer of life, and our life is drawn from Him. Our life originates with Him. He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Job said in that verse that we all remember from the book of Job in Job 1.21, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives life and all of our lives are a bounded set. And the Lord takes away our lives. The living God is the Lord of life. He gives life. He takes it away. It's not ours. It's always borrowed. It's not ours to decide on. And aren't you glad with me that we don't have to decide? God has framed that completely, and we can leave it with him. It's not ours to choose to decide with. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, the preacher from the book of Ecclesiastes, of course, says there's an appointed time for every event under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Established in the decree of God, not addressed to us or known to us, but revealed in the scripture existing and presiding over our experience. Death is not our choice. God decides. It's not up to us. We don't make those choices. They're made for us. Life is the prerogative of God. Secondly, the apostle Paul despaired of life. There, I've said it. Say, Eric, wasn't he a follower of Jesus? Yes, he was. Wasn't he a mature Christian leader? Yes, he was. Did he despair of life? Yes, he did. Come with me to 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers. 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Hear the word of the Lord. Did you notice that thrice repeated phrase? <laughs> Verse 10, he delivered us. Verse 10, he will deliver us. Verse 10, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Here's how Paul describes where he was. Have you ever been there? Oh, dear one, are you there this morning? God knows your heart and couldn't love you more. Utterly burdened, 
beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's quite a turn of phrase. There is brokenness in this world that is cursed, that we face, that is debilitating. Life is hard. He says he despaired of life itself. Now, this word that he uses is a fascinating word. Etymologically, if you look at it and dissect it, it starts with a prefix, out of. It has a little thing in the middle in the combination of everything, a, and then the heart, way. It, it, it bespeaks this. Paul was out of a way forward. Have you ever felt that in life? Have you felt like your options were gone? Oh, sure, you could do this or that, but then it's like, you know what? I'm in a position where there are no options. Maybe you feel like that this morning. That, if you put all those concepts together, out of a way through, out of a way forward, out of self-evident senses of resolution, there's no way out. Where I am, that's how Paul felt. Utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now look across the page in 2 Corinthians 4. In that passage that Nate Holzapfel read so well this morning. Jay, we must use him again. Uh, that, that was wonderful how he read it. And, and by the way, brother, thank you for picking out the lyrics that rubbed our souls in the glory of the gospel and the promises of hope. That was sweet. Thank you. Nate read that passage. Here is the language, the vocabulary, the passage he read. Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, carrying always the death of Christ. Wow. Paul despaired of life, but he didn't get stuck there. That's the key. He tells us in chapter 1, the affliction we experienced, so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life, but he didn't get stuck there. Because in chapter 4, he would say what sounds at first contradictory, but in chapter 4, he says, despaired but didn't stay there. But he wasn't heroic in not staying there. It was about the intervention of God that changed it. Because four times he uses the phrase, but God. Look at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way. Here's the word, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. What changed the calculus? It was the availability of the grace of God. Paul's despair was not the end of the story. That is an important reality that we need to all consider. Did he experience it? Yes. Was it the end? No. God intervened. And he's willing to intervene for you this morning. His despair was not the end. 
I love the scene at the end of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Christian, his character who goes through the odyssey of life, uh, having gone through the wicked gate and received Christ, he goes forward. And he finally gets to the celestial city. The city set up on a hill on the other side of the Jordan River, which is this metaphor for death. And as Christian and faithful are going over the Jordan River together, why, it's very harrowing, and you think they're never going to get across the river, and the threat is, is just, it, it abounds in multiple facets as they cross the river. And they get up on the other side, and they're walking up the ascent to the celestial city. They've made it home. And they're arm in arm. And Faithful looks at Christian, or I can't remember which Christian looked at Faithful, and he says this. And Bunyan saw it so clearly. He said, well, through much travail, we got over. And will that not be what we say, alas? Oh, Lord, through much travail, I got over. But we will also say, through that travail, I saw you in ways I would never have seen you had you not taken me through the very travail that I went through. Because it is in the midst of travail that there is a, if we'll let it, a clarity of vision that comes to see the living Lord in ways we would never have seen him apart from that travail. Let's face it, travail is part and parcel of broken life. Didn't Paul say the same thing? I have fought a good fight. What? Paul was not Lawrence Welk. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. That's how Welk used to you know, say that on his show, you know. Bubbles going everywhere. Hey, let's just face it. it life, is not, life is hard. It's great, and we love it, and it's been given by God. But it's a challenge. And Paul said, I've, at the end of his life, he said, I fought a good fight. He felt like Rocky at the end of the 15th round, you know. He's laying half dead on the canvas, but the fight was over. He says, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. The Apostle Paul despaired of life. Third rock, God sustains the emotional and spiritual health of his own. Come with me to Psalm 3.3. Psalm 3.3. It's a morning psalm. You get up and sing this in the morning. It's a great one. But you, O Lord, are to shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head. Now, I realize we're in the middle of a Me Too movement. You need to be very careful with touch. And I I totally understand that. John White, a British psychiatrist who loved Jesus, came to the States to speak. He wrote books for InterVarsity Press. That's now almost a generation ago they were published. And I don't agree with everything he says, but... He, he's got some wonderful stuff. In fact, he wrote a book on the Christian life called The Fight, uh, taking off from that phrase from, from Paul. But he, he was there, he, he spoke, and he said, now, I'm willing to meet with anyone at this meeting tonight and pray before you go home if you need prayer. And a woman came who was profoundly discouraged, and she had despaired of life. And she came to him, and he spoke to her just rudimentary, elementary, what's your name, what's going on, I want to pray. It was, he was very simple. But as he was getting ready to pray for her, 
he, he, he sensed the Lord prompting him. And he reached out his hands and he cupped her face in his hands because she was making no eye contact. She was discouraged. She was looking at the floor. And he, he, he cupped her face and he lifted it up. And he said, oh, dear sister, you are a daughter of God. And it wasn't too much for him to give up his only unique son to give you life. Live as his daughter. Now I want to pray for you. And he prayed. That was a transforming moment for her when he physically took her face and lifted it up and urged her to look unto Jesus. The lifter up of my head. You ever had God lift up your head? By the way, did you come in with your head down this morning? And there's a lot in life in this moment that would induce us to put our head down. God lifts up our head. He's so good at that. Come with me to 1 Samuel 30. You'll remember this from the David series. David is in a pickle. Saul's chasing him. Of all things, he goes to be a steward of a Philistine city out in the middle of nowhere, taking care of them, but they liked his army. It protected them, and it was all good. He was living in a place called Ziklag, and he went out to fight the Amalekites, and they double-crossed him and came into the city and stole everything in the city and burned their houses down and took their wives and children. So David brings the army back into the city. They were not happy. All their assets were gone. Their wives and children were gone. And they decided what they wanted to do was to kill David. David was in a bad place, 1 Samuel 30. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. It was a grievous blow. Verse 5, David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. You see, in that moment, David had no strength. It wasn't about how heroic David was to be able to muster the strength to face the moment. No, he received from our Lord strength outside of himself. Or as the lyricist put it this morning, strength in the middle of weakness. What Martin Luther would call alien strength. It came from outside of them and it comes to us. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. It's not about heroic personal stamina that preserves. It's about the glory of God's sufficient grace. 
Now let me read you a passage. You can go there with me. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Notice what is characteristic of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. What? What does God do? What is characteristic of him? It's reported as characteristic of God that he is a comforter. You say, Eric, of all things, what I need this morning is comfort. I need some assurance that I can take the next breath, that I can exhale, and that I can take the next step and go on. There is comfort available in Jesus Christ. Life is hard. Look around. You want to see who's facing battles? It's all of us. They're not all the same. They're not all the same size. There's not a person here this morning that's not wrestling with life in some facet in a broken world. The world is broken. You take Calvary Baptist Church. You take Calvary Christian School. This network is affected by Steve Sternberg's homegoing. Rather than sit in a couple of seats in front of uh, the Hyabs this morning, Steve's with our Lord, by the way, better than he's ever been. Amen. We're hurting. I told you last Sunday, my day began with one of my best friend's wife dying as melanoma finished out its carnage in her body. It's been a fascinating week. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. You say, Eric, I, I can't believe that's in the Bible. That's me this morning. That's what I feel like. That's who I am today. How I need help. Our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. I may have said this last week, but I heard the most fascinating quote recently. And sometimes we can get so tormented by the battles we're facing. Sleep's not the easiest thing. Kafka, the German writer, he said this about his sleep. He said, my terrible insomnia is interrupted by long episodes of wakefulness. <laughs> Maybe you're there with a tormented heart. Oh, you ever been there? Have you been there during COVID? Are you here this morning? One of those but God difference-making intrusions is what we need. The perspective of the godly is always it wasn't like this in the beginning, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Then sin entered and death came. And we look forward, and we know it's not going to be like that in the end. When God uh, uh, recreates the heavens and the earth, and paradise returns, and in between what we have while we march forward, having received Christ as our Savior, toward what God has in our eternal future, we take the next step with him and experience his sufficient grace with another round of those but God intrusions that change the day. Is it possible? So, so let's, let's come to our question. Do followers of Jesus ever despair of life? 
Is it possible for followers of Jesus to come to a place where we loathe life? Here's the answer. Yes. Faithful followers of Jesus can get discouraged and despair of life. The Apostle Paul was one of them. David said, using a cryptic metaphor in Psalm 27, a favored psalm of many, when he said it got to the place where, for my, mother, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord has taken me in, Psalm 27, 10. And this verb, taken me in, is the idea of being gathered in for the purpose of care. Oh, one of my prayers for this morning would be that you sense very clearly that God is gathering you into his heart for the purpose of prayer. We need to baptize more of the Landon crew because it, it, it has a way of exploding the attendance of our church. There's 28 Landons here this morning. Many of us have been praying about what they've been through with Beatrice. Did I see Will here? Is it, Will, how is Beatrice? Tell Beatrice we love her and we've been praying for her. I, Beatrice, I didn't know you were here. I didn't even know you were here. God be praised. Recently... Went off the mountain of the family compound and went back to Louisville. And, uh, oh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, fancy meeting like this, Beatrice. I've never had the chance to meet you. But um, ask them about what they've been through. Ask Beatrice about what life's been like since Labor Day. Um, wow. Do followers of Jesus ever despair of life? Yes. Followers of Jesus can be discouraged. David said, my mom and dad forsook me, but the Lord took me in. One of the things by proxy I've noticed is the Lord taking in the Landons and helping them through the months that they faced since Labor Day. Well, how should we live? Three cues for living, then we'll go home. First, we live sustained by the encouragement of the Scriptures. Come with me to this phrase in Romans 15.4. It's very important the encouragement of the scriptures. Romans 15, 4. For what was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. You see, we get jaded in the middle of these fights that we're fighting through and these difficulties we don't see things how they really are. You ever gone to the eye doctor and she says, now is this better? Click. Or is this better? Is this better? Or is this better? And she'll get right down into the perfect prescription so you can see. Or you ever listen to somebody tune the piano? It's, it's actually annoying. But, the, you know, they start. And they move it minusculely till it just it comes to perfect pitch. What the scriptures does is put before us the lens of what is true about God what is true about us, what is true about our suffering. Paul dared to say momentary and light and producing for us a far more and eternal weight of glory. John Piper in his chapter in his book discussing William Cooper who wrote God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform and other hymns but lived a melancholy, discouraged life Piper, in talking about how John Newton encouraged him so, wrote, Let us rehearse the mercies of Jesus often in the presence of discouraged people. 
And that's what happens when we open God's book. We are encouraged by it. But here's what happens. We get in a hard fight, and one of the first things to drop is our reading of the Scripture. So the very source of what could be encouragement for us gets swallowed up in the fight and in the struggle and the discouragement that trends toward despair. But Paul is calling us back to it this morning, the encouragement of Scripture. Secondly, we allow what is true about God to reshape our outlook on life and experience. What did David do? 1 Samuel 36, he encouraged himself in the Lord. What did the psalmist say? The Lord is the lifter up of my head. What governs our outlook? What controlling focus shapes how we cope with life? What's governing your focus this morning? John Piper said, Mental health is the use of the mind to focus on worthy reality outside of ourselves. Mental health is, in great measure, the gift of self-forgetfulness, which Jason will come back to this summer on Wednesday night as he goes through Keller's booklet. It's so good introspection destroys what matters most to us. What matters most? The authentic experience of great things outside of ourselves. What is the controlling focus of your life? What shapes your outlook? What shapes mine? By the way, what shapes your children's outlook? And if the answer is the cell phone and the internet, I need to urge you to rethink technology. By the way, what shapes your perspective? When your phone sends you a screen uh, report this week for how much time you spent, you know, what, what will that say about what is the controlling influence in your life? By the way, don't be so pious to say, oh, yeah, I read the Bible for hours a week on my phone. What shapes our outlook? You know what David said, I've set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. The stability comes from that focus on the living God. Finally, we seek help if we begin to sink. Despair is a real thing. We must recognize that it exists. Then we can face it together. We can face it with help. Think of Matthew 14, 30 and 31. Peter gets out of the boat, the waves come around him, and he said, help, Lord, and save me. And he begins to sink, and Jesus is right there with his hand, as he always is. It's a beautiful picture. Christ is present right in the moment of need. He always is. If we begin to trend toward despair, what our habits are is to get more isolated. That's the worst thing we can do. We need to quietly and privately reach out. Our REACH biblical counseling ministry is designed to be quietly and confidentially beside people to give them encouragement and help. There's information in the bulletin about how you can get help. help. The proud never cry for help. It's the despairing who often wither alone. Jesus is here. Jesus is calling. God's people are for you. We have in Jesus, 2 Peter 3, 1, 3, all that we need for life and godliness. I'll never forget the call I received. At the other end of the phone, my associate, who I worked with for a number of years, I was no longer at that church, was whispering into the phone, Eric, what do I do? I said, what's going on? The police are at the house. We're standing in the front yard. Nobody's allowed in the house. I said, where are you? What's going on? 
Well, our dear sister took her life last night. I had her funeral. I watched her sit in my living room with pages of scripture open in her lap. And I watched God open her heart. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And she embraced Jesus Christ. I watched her grow in her faith and come to the joy of having peace with God and walking with him. She then went through a series of changes, and doesn't life bring change? She moved out of the iconic house where they had raised their children. That's a transition. Her husband was trending toward retirement. That's a transition. Then the boys got up and out and got married. That's a transition. Then her body wasn't treating her as it once did in her life formerly, and that's a transition. Then she had a car accident, and that was full of stress. Then she was caring for little ones, in fact, multiples and a birth, and she was right there and got exhausted doing it and did it with great joy, and it changed her life because she virtually lived with the family over time trying to get these little people fed and get them up and going in the early months of their life. And then she transitioned out of that and stacked stress upon stress upon stress upon stress. She got up one night and took her life. God knows your heart and he knows mine. Let it never be said of Calvary Baptist Church that somebody could come in here with a despairing heart and find that nobody cared. But let it be said of us that's a group of people imperfectly following Jesus, giving ourselves to him, needing his help desperately, beginning with the preacher and everybody else, but holding on to each other in this good way following him and encouraging others to find hope and peace in this one who loved us and gave himself for us. If you're despairing this morning, I want you to know you are loved and God is near and there is help and there is hope. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Know of the encouragement of the scripture. God is the lifter up of our head. I want him to lift your head up this morning. Let's pray. Father, we have no innate ability to hold ourselves together in the midst of the brokenness of life and a world groaning and travailing, waiting, shaking, waiting to be released from the curse. But how grateful we are for the strong hands, the nail-scarred hands, the loving hands of an able God who wants to pick us up and Carry us forward. Hold us. Help us. Minister to hearts this morning as we sing this very song and remind each other of this great truth. There's someone at home in the universe. He couldn't care more. He demonstrated that on Good Friday. And he's brought us into hope Easter morning. 
and to everyone who looks unto him and is his child, he holds us fast. Help us, Lord. Hold us this morning. Amen.